Hi, I'm Eric McEwen. And I'm Levi Weinhagen. And this is Regret Labs. It's Eric McEwen. Oh, it's Levi Weinhagen. And this is Regret Labs. We... Oh, we're going to do a new, new intro? <laughs> no, I just wanted to say that. Okay. <laughs> well, now that's the start. Okay, perfect. Hi, Levi. Eric. What are we here to talk about today? Sound. Oh, should we talk to people who haven't listened to the podcast before? Do we have to keep introducing like the concept for the show every episode? I go back and forth. Yeah? I feel like there's a description pretty much wherever you get the podcast. Yeah, that's true. And if you've already listened, you already know. But I think, you know, we could do a quick... Quick rundown. Quick so rundown. what we do is we have a guest who's going to teach us about a specific topic. What we do beforehand is discuss what we know about the topic, which is very little. Sometimes nothing. Nothing. <laughs> then our guest corrects us. Yes. And then we wait a few weeks and our final bit... Yeah, a segment. Session. Yeah, the segment. Uh, comes a few weeks later where we try to recall what our guest has actually taught us to see if we retained any knowledge. So it would be... What do we know? What should we know? Mm -hmm. What did we learn? Mm -hmm. And it's a lovely journey we go on. We look like fools at we're, every step. We're willing to look dumb. Yeah. We have an emphasis on admitting when we don't know something or don't understand what's going on. And I'm going to try and be better at that. I still I still think I have a problem with just nodding my head and going, hmm, mm. like, like, oh, mm. yeah, oh, that makes sense. That does make sense. When, in, right instead now. of like saying, I need more information on that. No, I feel like you do a good job of it. All right. I think you do it better than me. Really? I will try to restate my understanding, mm -hmm. but couch it in a joke in case I'm wrong. Oh, yeah. My life is nothing but saying jokes in case someone gets angry at me. Yes. And then I and can just say it's just a joke. I was just kidding. Sometimes they love it and it works. And sometimes they're like, that's not why I married you. So it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's a mix. Today, Levi... Yes. We are going to talk about pitch perception. Pitch perception. Other audio The items. hit Hollywood film starring Anna Kendrick, mm -hmm. Pitch Perception. Yes. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, no, I think you're thinking High School Musical 2. Is Glee a movie? I'm thinking of Glee. They have, didn't they have a 3D movie? Glee D. <laughs> you, Pretty proud of myself. No, are you saying that as a joke? Yeah. Because that might be a thing. They said. That might be a marketing oh, no. thing. Oh, I hope. You think it's a joke, but... Yeah. It might be just something that exists. That's a great t-shirt slogan. It. You think it's a joke, but that might just be something that exists and you're recalling it. We'll print those up. Yeah. Go to our regretlabs.com. Our merch page. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You'll find it. Pitch perception. Yeah. I don't know. But we can just take those two words. Pitch is the it's got to be the the frequency or vibration of sound. I believe that's correct. The, yes. The energy put into I don't know what is would it make how close the waves are together. The sound waves are together. I would think. Or is so. it how high they go? Or both? Would the waves make it higher? Well, high would just be your love loud. keeps lifting me higher. Mm -hmm. Is that something? Uh, what was the song that made the toaster dance in Ghostbusters two? <laughs> is that that? That's song? it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think we covered it. Pitch perception. All right. It's so, what makes the toaster uh, I'll dance. Our guest. <laughs> well, the perception part, I mean, pitch, I've, it's a word I'm familiar with. Perception means a whole bunch of different things mm -hmm. in my world. Well, how we perceive, well, how do we perceive anything? I mean, I think about this sometimes, just the sight, sound, taste, touch, 
smell, smell, even and, and then uh, ESP. Yes, the and force ESP, you, and mm-hmm. which you don't have to have cable. No, not anymore with the Slingshot 2.0. Perfect. Whatever, yeah. This episode of Regret Labs is brought to you by Slingshot 2.0. They're not a sponsor. They just is it 2.0? I don't know. I don't think it's 2.0. <laughs> it's the first iteration. Why would I put 2.0 in there? Just make it sound hip 10 years ago. But perception is is it the intake and the processing of information, Ooh. be it vision or hearing or whatever. I what, can... what I get into in my head is the how you can hear or see or taste things without actually being tasting or... Like a memory? Yeah. Yeah. The memory plays that thing in your head, and you can how I don't understand. And it colors. This is your... for a different. <laughs> this is for a different topic or a no. different guest, probably. But how can you like know what t- chocolate tastes like? How can you taste that in your head when you don't have? As like if if you're thinking about it right now, you can taste chocolate. You know, you know what it tastes like. You're remembering oh, the stop, taste. Stop doing that. Right? I, I don't want chocolate right now. <sighs> Swedish fish. Battery acid. No. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, the, the, I don't know, the perception and then the recall are obviously different items, but you know, they're all ha- processing in your brain. When I hear pitch perception, my guess mm-hmm. is that it has to do with what a, some noise, what it sounds like to wherever it's being taken in mm-hmm. versus what it actually is. That, that, that's my just know nothing guess based on the phrase pitch, pitch perception. perception, which is the perceived pitch as opposed to what the actual pitch is. But that mm-hmm. could be... Almost certainly wrong. <laughs> That's just me using sort of. I, I think perception probably means something different scientifically than it does. Yeah, layman style, which is my predominant style. I don't have a perception. Does you're very, have... you're very perceptive. You notice stuff. Uh, but is that just hearing? It maybe it's uniquely your experience. So what's of hearing. yeah? But what's the difference between pitch perception and just hearing things? Fancy, fancy talk. You just well, think imagine, it's fancy talk, I'm, or do you think it's I would guess, actual? I would guess pitch perception is one aspect of what you're hearing. Mm-hmm. The pitch aspect. There's probably other. Oh, so there's different parts of the ear that do different things. So maybe or elements of sound that you hear in different ways. You know, there's what is there tone and I don't know frequency. Like to those things, I don't know what are the parts of sound. I don't We're even know that. Way out of our depth. I was out of my depth. When you walked in here. Before then. <laughs> I haven't been in my depth in a while. I don't think we're going to get any clearer. No, but plenty more mud to, to stomp through. Yeah. So you think we should, we should get I to our I think we guest. should get to our guests because we're only we're, we're, uh, muddying the waters. We are mucking around in our mud. How does mud jump- work? Well, the, the sun comes down. When the sun comes down. It's a China Grove. You know that song? No, I don't. Oh, it's fine. It's fun. It's a fun song. Doobie Brothers, I think. It's an old song. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun, though. It's a fun song to sing along to in your car. I bet your daughter loves that. Probably. Do you I sing along know. in the car with uh, your daughter in there? Oh, sure. Yeah. Because well, uh, what, what, what do you... Uh, as long as China we're talking Grove. about... Yeah. As long as we're talking about pitch perception. Uh-huh. My dad sang James Taylor a lot. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. yeah. So what's your what's your... Well, it's what I mean. She wants to listen. She likes a lot of soundtracks, huh. and then I just know those songs. Like right now, there's just in, like the Ghostbusters two soundtrack. Ghostbusters mostly it's uh, sequels. So love. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two Secret of the Use. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I so have that soundtrack. It's I had a lot of soundtracks as a kid. That's kind of your 
gateway into music when you're too I don't want to call kids dumb. But no, but it's to, like a compilation, so you can try mm-hmm. a lot of different things. Yeah, and it is where you would hear songs you might not otherwise hear. Right in a in a yeah. In I a had movie. It, I would get all the Batman soundtracks mm-hmm. for a good long run, and then I was like, wait, some of these are terrible. <laughs> so we do a lot of soundtrack listening, and definitely we'll sing along to those. We do a lot of making up songs, okay. so that's that's its own, you know, your own little improvised song. And then I will put on, you know, like hip-hop stuff right. that I like a lot and make her try to sing along to it. That's a fun game that I play. How does that work? Uh, she just moves her mouth really fast without saying anything, and I start giggling. So, so it works every time. Nice. Parenting. Welcome to Pratt Falls and Parenting. Damn it. It's a great show. Yeah. Everyone should go check it out. Well, let's welcome Adam Speck to our show. Yay! Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bilabial voice stops. <laughs> oh, no. Science. Oh, all right. <laughs> we want to start our show? Yeah. Welcome back. Hey, Levi. Hey, Eric. We're still here. Yeah. We, there was a mi- musical interlude. I liked it. Did you hear the pitches in there? I don't know what that no. means. All right. Well, let's find out. We have our special guest, Adam Sveck, with us. Adam Sveck. Hi, Adam. Hello. How are you doing? I'm quite cold, but good. Oh, good? Yeah, it's cold outside. Yeah. It's, oh, yeah. It's the coldest it's been all since uh, last year. It's just, it's bitterly, school-cancelingly cold out. True, mm-hmm. true. But Adam's here to talk to us about pitch perception. Yes. Adam? Eric? Number one, why the fuck do you think... <laughs> wow. We're not going to pull punches right at bat. if that's what you think. What makes you think you can teach anybody about pitch perception? And also... Who are you as a person? Uh-huh. It's the same question, just reiterated yeah, yeah, yeah. said in uh-huh. a different way. Uh, well, I'm going to take the second part first. All right, good. Um, I, I would like that. It may answer the first part. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I am a graduate student at the University of Minnesota. I finished my clinical doctorate in audiology last spring after I spent a year in Charleston, South Carolina, finishing up sort of the clinical research externship portion of that. And I'm now finishing my dissertation in hearing science so that I can be a double doctor uh, in uh, hearing-related things. Wow. So, So you are a scientist. Uh, loosely described, yes, uh, but I am, um, yeah. Have we had any double doctorates on before? I don't think so. Oh, but you haven't. Well, I'm, not you're not, I'm not yet. Your yeah. potential. potential. I guess everyone's potentially a double doctorate. I'm Adam, potentially Adam a double comes yeah. closer than most. That's right. My, <laughs> His potential is very close to being realized. My two years in technical college will really boost me up into that double You're on doctorate. the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My every six months going, I should go back and study the hard sciences. That's a potential... <laughs> Doctorate. It's going to happen. Probably it's not I think this, this podcast is sort of launching you both on that way. Yeah. Well, when do we get our honorary? Uh, honorary. Never with that kind of talk. <laughs> Never mind. I'm not going to get an honorary doctor. I feel like, you know how there's common law marriage? Mm-hmm. I think if you do a science podcast long enough. If you do a podcast, well, like uh, Squatter's Rights. Yeah. So if you, mm-hmm. if you do a podcast long enough, but nobody realizes it, and suddenly you're just kind of ingrained... Yeah, it's like there, a, then you get, you get a, a doctorate. You should do this podcast at a university, mm. and eventually people would just think that you were supposed to be there. We'll sign up for a room. Idea. Uh, we'll say we're a culture club. We'll, we'll say we're the culture club. We're the culture club. I yes. have to paint my face. Mm-hmm. I'm Boy George. I've just taken the Boy George role. Sorry, Eric. That's all right. I uh... End of riff? Yeah, sure. Okay. I was going to say, surefire way to uh, convince people you're a scientist at a university is dressed like Boy George. You, yeah. would, you would know better than us. Yes. Being kind of a scientist. Mm-hmm. 
Loosely. Actually, my uh, this doesn't oh, have yeah. anything to do with Boy George, but I painted my nails over the new year, and they're starting to kind of peel off a little bit now. But they're very so, pretty. Is there just a, to say? Is just there a to story say behind can, it, or <clears throat> not that there has um, to be? There was a three-year-old at the holiday party I was at, and uh, some women friends of mine were painting their nails, and um, I got talked into it as well. And I actually used to paint my nails in high school. You know, I went to high school in the mid-90s, and uh, everybody kind of took a a swipe at uh, painting their nails. So uh, it's been a while. feels good. So now we know even a little more. Yeah. Yeah. What what else do you do, Adam? Uh, Well, uh, aside from... Um, being a graduate student, I uh, play some music and um, mm-hmm, yeah. and uh, play the first Tuesday of every month with an improvised hip hop group called Coloring Time at Ice House, which is fun. Nice. Um, I have I'm on the, in the middle of working on two new records with a band called Camp Dark, which is my new solo project. I'm calling it Camp Dark because it's not a solo project. It's a whole bunch of people are involved. Okay. But you're going to cut them out once it's, a, <laughs> once it's a big success. Yeah. I um, A lot of times I'll have people come into the studio, record for hours, and then erase it. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. Eric does that to me a lot. Yeah. <laughs> what Do you have a primary instrument? Uh, I primarily play guitar, but really um, people ask me to do uh, ask me to sing most of the time. You have a lovely voice. Oh, thanks. Just speaking. I don't know how it translates. But. Terribly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if and we can get into the topic of the day, but I do wonder if does that make you self conscious of your singing? Like, have it has it adjusted the way you listen to yourself? Not entirely. Um, I guess I've been hearing my voice recorded for. Uh, a long time, probably almost 20 years. So um, I kind of got used to that as you do, you know, when I was younger. And um, it's made me think about frequency response and the way that you listen to sound in a broader sense, definitely, differently. Um, It has made me think about the way that we segregate different sounds uh, in a a room and in a space differently. Um, And sort of the way that we take in a room full of sound, but not necessarily my voice, I guess. But so if you're composing music for your non-solo solo project, right. would it change how you might make a composition of something because you're aware of how people, what people's relationship is to sound on a deeper level? You know, I've tried to keep the, I'm sorry, I'm kind of Your academic life right. separate from your artistic life. Um, yeah, I really have. Yeah. Um, uh, I got into so i guess i can tell a little bit of a story i got into there's no time oh great <laughs> uh, well i'm wrapping it up okay. uh, let's go back to uh we were talking about ghostbusters 2 yeah before, we need to get so back into that yeah, yeah, yeah. that dead dead spot of a topic uh vigo no we did not God, no we, we didn't even bring up vigo no, that's how well we did what accent was that vigo's accent yeah. eastern european-ish uh, I don't know. It was like, it was just foreign. It's like a, just a slow man. Right. Ghost. It's a ghost accent. Yes. It is a ghost accent. I'm sorry, you were sharing a personal story? <laughs> oh, certainly. So I was- But about Vigo. <laughs> <laughs> so I was working at Capella University. I think I worked there for about four years from 2003 to 2007. And during that time, <laughs> I hated it and could listen to as much music or as much content as I wanted because mm-hmm. I was just plugging numbers into spreadsheets. Uh, I listened to, while I was there, I listened to the entire back catalog of This American Life from wow. 1995 to 2007 or mm-hmm. whatever it was. Uh, and then I started getting into Radio Lab at that time. And uh, in 2006, I think there was a Radio Lab uh, with 
a uh, woman who works at University of Southern California now, I want to say, Diana Deutsch, who talked about attributes of pitch that are important for um, languages such as Cantonese and Mandarin and things mm. like that. And talking about that, that pitch um, actually carries phonemic value in, in tone languages. And so that ma, for instance, uh, can be a multiple words depending on the pitch that you uh, the trajectory of the pitch that you use mm -hmm. um and uh, i found that really interesting and the whole episode is is uh, pretty fascinating but that got me interested in the science of sound and, and why sound is interesting and um uh from that point forward my interest in the science of sound and my interest in music although parallel have not intersected a ton, mm. and they've they've mostly intersected in um, hearing protection and things like that. So you don't um, want to ruin your ears, right? Yeah. Right, right. And just thinking about uh, how, how you know what sort of uh, exposure levels and the amount of time that you can spend in a loud environment before you start to um, potentially do some damage, and uh, how important it is to pay attention to that. But uh, yeah, so I, I, I guess compositions and, and uh, the work that I do in the musical world, I tend to try to keep fun. And sometimes science is interesting, but not terribly fun. Uh, and that is our takeaway <laughs> message. That's right, kids. Yeah. Don't give up. But I, I won't, I'm not going to force your hand, but yeah. I do think it could be interesting sometime for you to really overtly have those things intersect. I mean, even that Ma example... Yeah, you could use pitch in a song the way you put together or perform a song to change the meaning. On you know, have the chorus be repeating but changing the pitch, and that oh, would certainly. be totally informed by the science of it. Like I think that could mm -hmm. be really compelling or really heady and annoying. <laughs> like oh, this is yeah. for no one but some high level nerd who doesn't really even care about the music. So the it's trick, a slippery slope, I guess. The trick with science that I've I've learned over my time studying it. Now, uh, disclaimer. My undergrad degree is in theater dance, and uh, uh, I got a music minor. Um, so a very, very uh, softball-y bachelor's degree. Mm -hmm. And then I didn't start graduate school until I was 29. And so I guess I guess I sort of my late... Uh, my late start at graduate school and at the, the endeavor of science has colored my appreciation, uh, love, and also my critique of it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think when I started, I was like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to really get, I'm going to nail down these answers. We're going to get some answers and we're going to figure this stuff out. When, um, in reality, what you're doing as a scientist is taking a very small chunk of a very small question or problem, examining it to no end with an idea that you will be able to estimate a very small result or solution to the question that you've asked. And although that's a great thing to do with your time to um, uh, pile on to, I guess, the pile of work that has come before you, um, you don't necessarily come to a conclusion. You always come to uh, things that suggest a result was interesting or important or significant or all these things. So you, you really, you, you, the, the problems that you take on typically don't get solved outright, you mm -hmm. know? And so it's all, you're always roundabout this particular set of problems. And it, it's really tricky to say that you've come across a solution or an answer. So would you say you're getting results more than answers? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I imagine, I like to imagine that's your dissertation. Mm -hmm. All of this is essentially meaningless. <laughs> now give me my graduate degree. <laughs> that's funny to me though. I, I often think of art making as 
making more questions and not really finding answers. It's about looking for more questions. Mm -hmm. And I think science is often sort of really broad, generally thought of as a way of finding answers. But I think you're getting at something that actually, I think, Eric, you've expressed being interested in too, in that if you look into something scientifically, you ultimately are, again, just coming up with more questions and Mm -hmm. your answers. It's really a... To better understand something, you really don't ever get an answer. You just get, right. you open up another chamber full of even more questions. So I like this sort of symbiosis of art and science in that way. Yeah, I do too. And and I think the the motivation, the intrinsic motivation to explore those realms are similar in the two disciplines. You know, if you if you have a passion for art, you'll do it whether you get paid for it or not. You know, you're going to be creating, you're going to be making, um, and you're going to be exploring these spaces. And I think that's true of scientists as well. As we just talked about before we started, um, it has to be a labor of love uh, because most of the time there's not a lot of money to be made or external benefit uh, to you by exploring these things. Mostly they have to be, you know, there has to be a lot of satisfaction uh, and intrinsic motivation um, for you to explore these realms and, and, and get the answers. Well, get the results that you're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> um, wh- one example I was going to bring up as far as the, the mystery of science or pitch well, should I start the story of pitch a little bit to kind of yeah, get let's, us into? Let's, uh, w- well, yeah, the story of pitch or what pitch perception is or however yeah. you want to go about it. Okay. The story of pitch. It's a great weird That's children's a, book. Oh, I was <laughs> thinking a, uh, the, what's the, <laughs> I was going to say, what's the film guy? Obviously, uh, Ken Burns. Oh. oh, he does a documentary about pitch. Right. <laughs> Man <laughs> has always loved pitch. <laughs> And just a ton of wide like, shots <laughs> of nothing. Jimmy Carter made a preservation. Tight zoom on an ear. Yeah. 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 Is that about right, Adam? Did yeah. You? Okay. Good. So I think that's it. Uh, right. Okay. So where to start? <laughs> Let's say you think about a keyboard, you know, a piano. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's laid out in, in a way um, that I'm going to describe, going to describe as tonotopic meaning that on the low end of the keyboard, you have low notes or places on that keyboard that represent low notes. On the uh, high end of the keyboard or the right side of the keyboard, you have places that represent high notes and everything in between on this continuum. Um, I'm understanding everything so far. Great. So I'm feeling good. Great. Yeah, you're killing it. Yes. So as sound enters the ear, travels down the ear canal, it runs into your tympanic membrane or your eardrum. Uh, It sets your eardrum in motion, uh, which then sets a few bones in your middle ear in motion and they oscillate all together uh, at the the frequency or the period of the frequency of the incoming incoming sound. I'll go into that in a minute. Eventually, all of that, you can sort of ignore all of that, but eventually they get to uh, the inner ear or the cochlea um, where there is a membrane that is actually coding sound in a similar way to the keyboard. So along this membrane in the inner ear, you know, this fluid displaced and all these sort of complicated um, things that happen. But uh, in a simple sense, um, if you play a low note on the keyboard, there's a very, there's a spot on the, on the, um, you know, a certain spot along that membrane uh, that codes for that low note at that particular place. And there's another place along that membrane that codes for the high note. Think of this as sort of a stretched out rubber band that has uh, some resonances at certain pitches, quote unquote, but but frequencies. Mm-hmm. So the ear codes for pitch or frequency uh, along this tonotopically organized membrane. Uh, 
that sort of gives rise to different pitches at different spots. That is one way the ear can code for pitch. So, And this is going to be really dumb. Okay. But what's an ear? Yes. <laughs> no, you have two ears. So you have... Yeah. These are happening in both your ears. You have all of these elements in both your ears, Correct. the membrane and everything. Yeah. Okay. But remember sure. the uh, the sound is a it's non what is the word you you can't locate the same way you can with your sight right I remember we had a conversation about that too where you can't place where something is so it might be different on one if your fa- if your ears facing the sound it'll be perceived differently in, in well, the so, different ears <clears throat> so that's sort of a, a different question but it's right, called sort of sound localization <laughs> um, and and uh, the way that we determine you know the way that I know that you're to my left or you're to my right if you weren't wearing headphones um, is that uh, the sound of your voice for one gets to my left ear before it gets to my right ear mm-hmm. so there's a timing issue and also there's a level difference so the the level is higher in my left ear than it is in the right ear okay. so that is a cue in space for me to say where a particular sound source is back to the yes, the, yeah, the question sorry. of pitch yeah. so so on this membrane this membrane is pretty interesting. Um, it's called the Basler membrane, and um, it, at certain places, the Baslerman membrane. Yep, yep. I thought of Basil from Faulty Towers oh. immediately. Uh-huh. I like Baslerman. Uh, so at a certain place along this membrane, it's got this sort of coding mechanism for what it thinks the quote-unquote pitch again or frequency of the incoming sound is. Um, now you can imagine uh, with something like speech that is very broadband and doesn't have one pitch but many pitches and many frequencies that it's made up of, that gets to be fairly complex. Uh, so it get, it's able to code multiple frequencies at one time and sort of sort them out into different bins and, and uh, into different filters um, for us to be be able to make sense of speech instead of it just being a bunch of gobbledygook, mm-hmm. like in the case of some cochlear implant listeners. So this is this is how we thought about pitch for a long time. You've got a fundamental frequency, which is the pitch of the tone. So let's say A, you know, on the keyboard is 440 hertz. Okay. The reason we know that A is arriving at our basilar membrane is that not only is 440 hertz present, but there are harmonics to uh, that fundamental frequency. Harmonics are integer multiples of the fundamental frequency. So 880 hertz, um, you know, so on and so forth up the chain. Uh, So you multiply, you know, you just have these integer multiples of 440 hertz. And if you play those all together, it all sounds like A. Sounds like one note. No matter how high up you would go. Theoretically. Um, well, there the are idea? limits. There are oh, limits. Yeah. Above 4,000 hertz, there's really not the... Your filters get broad and you, you don't. You have unresolved harmonics, uh, what they're called. Oh, it's the worst. Um, so that's... that's a, But that's a question currently is what's the upper limit of our perception of quote-unquote pitch? Hmm. Because pitch is the psychological correlate of frequency. It is subjective. It is a little bit fuzzy and it's mysterious. So it's what our brain does with frequency. Is that what... Kind of the the psychological. It's not necessarily what our brain does, but what we decipher our brain is doing. Oh, okay. With pitch. Oh man, it's another so abstraction. A, another step removed. From Here's an example. He I, doesn't know that we know. He knows. <laughs> <laughs> when they were kind of trying to sort all this stuff out in the 30s, 40s, 50s, there came the question of, okay, well, the pitch of my voice typically is around a hundred hertz. Uh, you know, 100, 150 hertz. I, it varies depending on if you're singing, you're carrying different pitches. But on average, the pitch of my voice is between 100 and 150 hertz. And so then uh, the way that my voice gets propagated up through my vocal tract is that it's 
taking advantage of those harmonics, the integer multiples of uh, 100 hertz, and filtering it through my vocal track so that it can make all these complex sounds that are involved in speech. You know, A, A, O, U, all of those are technically the same pitch, mm -hmm. but they don't sound like the same thing. Because they have different, um, you know, spectral tilt, spectral timbre. They're taking advantage of all the information from the harmonics to make different sounds. We don't need to get too far into that. But the the problem was, well, one of the problems was, and I don't remember exactly the timeline of this, but um, they were developing the tel telephone and the filter that the telephone passes is from 300 to 3000 hertz. Now, the fundamental frequency or the pitch of most people's voices are all under 300 hertz. Mm -hmm. So we've got 100, 150 hertz for males, like you know, 150 to 250 hertz for females. What are we going to do if we can't hear the pitch of someone's voice on the telephone? Are we just going to go to hell? Is that going to throw everybody for a loop? Probably. Well, um, some scientists at Bell found out that that doesn't happen. We all know that when we talk on the telephone, we have a perceptive pitch of someone's voice. They discovered that if you take away the fundamental frequency, if you cover up the fundamental frequency or extract it from this complex of harmonics, your brain can do the math and sort out what the pitch is without the pitch being present. So it can do the math between these harmonics, put together the relationship between them and reinstate the pitch where it should have been, even though it's not there. That's crazy. So when we're on the phone, we are hearing a representation of someone's voice, not but really. But not their fundamental frequency. It's all, it's all a lie. Is that, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is. that's what I came here to Everything tell you. Everything is nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, so that, it was a really, you know, Bell, some scientists at Bell were like, well, fuck it, we don't need it. It was fine. You know, like, and uh, that became the mystery of the missing fundamental. Because that seems like a breakthrough to just. That's crazy. That? Yeah. yeah. Uh, People were like, What? You know, and um, so since then, disclaimer again, my area of research is not pitch perception. It's it's psychoacoustics in, in some other realms that are less interesting than pitch perception. But I happen uh, we happen to be lucky enough to have um, Dr. Andrew Oxenham uh, in the psychology department, uh, who is probably the premier pitch researcher in the world. And uh, so we're lucky enough to, um, uh, to have him close by and we get to go to journal seminar with him. And so we have his expertise near and dear if, if, if need be. Now he has been exploring recently, if, if you can do the math with the harmonics and you go up the chain and you just keep taking away harmonics, how far up in the harmonic complex do you have to get before pitch goes away? Before you, it just kind of sounds like, eh, it sort of sounds like noise or, you know, like for instance, if you were to whistle, if you were to go, eventually you get to a point where obviously I'm forming the S with my, with my um, tongue as well. But eventually that percept of a pitch sort of just becomes ethereal and goes away. It starts to sound like an S or a sh or something like that. Something not very pitch like, mm -hmm. not very pitch, you know, not, doesn't have the quality of pitch. And so the reason we're interested in the, the boundaries of pitch and, and where, you know, where pitch uh, uh, is very apparent and, and uh, very clear and where pitch starts to get a little fuzzy is that for cochlear implant listeners, uh, they tend to not have very great access to pitch for a number of reasons. Um, they're listening for, through very broad channels. And um, most of the time when they're listening to speech, it sounds something like it's 
It sounds like that. It tends to sound more like that than like the the pitchy quality that speech tends to have. Mm-hmm. Sort of like a whisper um, combined with noise. Uh, and you can look up uh, uh, simulations of what a cochlear implant sounds like. I think it's tigercis.com or something like that. Uh, there's a, a guy in, uh, at UCLA that is that has posted a lot of the simulations that he's made. And you can make your own simulations. So it's, it's pretty fun. But the problem becomes in uh, languages like Mandarin and uh, other languages that have pitch uh, that is phonemically important for the meaning of sentences and words and things like that. That uh, uh, is is problematic mm-hmm. um, for for um, uh, listeners that have cochlear implants in that country. So they're trying to improve our understanding of pitch, so we can improve the algorithms provided uh, via cochlear implants to these listeners. So is some of that trying to understand the limitations of the brain to fill in the gaps? Certainly. And then the other piece is to make it a more refined cochlear implant because it's such a nuanced. Right. The actual part that's in her head is, is so complicated that it's hard to replicate all this, all that's going on. Right. There. Yeah. So the, the, the devices that we have right now are complex in their, in their, in the algorithms uh, and the, and the software. Well, yeah, I guess in the, in the firmware and the software that they use, but, but really the, the um, device, the, the hardware is pretty simple. It's just some electrodes at certain distances apart that you drill into the skull and sink the electrode, try to get the electrode as close to the auditory nerve as you can. Mm. And then you're like, all right, good luck. Mm. Hope Mm. that works well. So there's Um, nothing as nuanced as that band of, uh, you know, that imagined rubber band of... No, the basal membrane. So that's kind of the big downfall or, or it's, right. it's hard to replicate that certainly yep it, it definitely is because um inherent in that band are things that i didn't i didn't talk about yet um <laughs> okay. so wait, we can't go into a bad movie that, you know if you want to hear some more about this um it's either there to talk about your band i mean so oh, <laughs> right as a you know as a normal hearing listener you have access to really soft sounds and very loud sounds. You know, we we have a dynamic range of something like 120 dB. So you can hear, you know, leaves go by on the sidewalk as they're as they're blowing in the wind. And you can also, if you want to, listen to a rock band. You know, with no earplugs. Uh, That's a bad idea. First half. Uh, you know, it's... I've done it all. I think I've lost some of my range mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. that. On a side note, there, what what causes the loss of range with? What 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 is being damaged when you're hearing loud music that's taken or, that away? Or the tinnitus. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're setting me up quite well. Nice. Yeah. So you have this really broad dynamic range. Mm-hmm. In on that membrane, at these particular places, you have um, uh, little things called outer hair cells, which are responsible for the nonlinear response of the cochlea of yeah. the basilar. So so dumb that down. <laughs> so that means that when you are when you're presented with very soft sounds, those outer hair cells actually act as amplifiers. And on the membrane itself, they will amplify the motion of the membrane that's responding to that sound. And as the sound gets a little louder, they will actually apply some compression. Hmm. So they'll compress the sound so that as the sound is coming in, the output to the brain will be reduced a little bit in level. 
Is that intentionally to protect the membrane or protect the, is there a protection element? Not that we know of. Okay. It's primarily to give you a broad dynamic range. Oh, okay. To give you sort of this natural sense of the highs and lows, the peaks and valleys of something that you're listening to. We think that we, that it evolved to, to give focus to um, things like speech or whatever yeah. was going to take the place of speech if speech didn't evolve in the way that it did. Right. Again estimating right. but um but you know it's it's curious that the uh, or or else we developed speech so that it took advantage of where our hearing was the best and where this cochlear nonlinearity um was was fine-tuned yeah i suppose that would be I mean, that's off topic what we're talking about but which came first the speech that made sense with the way our ears work or our ears matching up with the speech probably I, the I ears first the, right yeah yeah, yeah I suspect the latter we were just like uh <laughs> uh, <you know? laughs> we developed this language and we're fucked because we can't hear so it. the ears don't work well just keep talking like this eventually the ears will yeah. catch up right. at least we can read lips yeah yeah i'm sorry what you learned how to read lips first. <laughs> i love it and then we're like oh, oh we can oh, add sounds <laughs> Um, no and, one was making noise. In Mandarin, they just open their eyes bigger or or smaller depending on the pitch. Right. So, oh, <laughs> is that true? Yeah. No. Oh. <laughs> no, oh not at all. Not at all. Great. So the thing if about you're Ghostbusters not sure if what too, either of us is, says is true, you should assume it is not okay. true. Great. Except for Ghostbusters too. That's Ghostbusters too. That's, that's all right. true. Man, all that slime. So much slime. It's just positively charged. Made the Statue of Liberty dance. Yeah. I'm sorry. Well, it didn't really dance. The toaster dance. Walked. Yeah. Okay. Move. Um, was that a Walkman? A Sony Walkman? I believe actual... that was definitely product placed. Because they're coming back. Some new wave. Speaking of tapes. Sound. Tapes. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the best way you hear things. Everyone <laughs> <says>. <laughs> a magnetic strip of tape. <laughs> it really holds sound the best. Uh-huh. Analog, yeah. bros. Analog. That's right. Um, Good luck getting back on track. So we were talking about the fact that, uh, so when quiet sound Mm -hmm. is present, these little hair cells uh, act as amplifiers, amplify the motion of the basilar membrane. And they they also give us this sort of fine tuning of our our frequency response to that particular place along the, the basilar membrane. So we're not only getting a little bit of amplification, we're getting very specific frequency selectivity, it's called. Or um, uh, let's think about it, for instance, your ability to distinguish C from C sharp. Okay. Um, so you're really good at, at, when you have normal hearing, really good at distinguishing C from C sharp. You can hear quiet sounds. And as the sounds get louder, you have a little bit of compression that's applied so they don't get too loud too fast, limiting the output, so, mm-hmm. so to speak, as we you know, sort of know that compression does now with waveforms and things that are too peaky. As you are exposed to loud sounds or ototoxic drugs or a number of other things, you... Um, What's ototoxic? Uh, it just means that it's damaging to the. I don't know the what's so the toxic with you. <sighs> There's, there ain't no sanity clause. <laughs> Did you just fall asleep? What? Eric's in a coma. <laughs> <sighs> Um, toxic drugs. Just damaging drugs? Yeah, just, uh, dr- so like, for instance, if you were on chemotherapy, mm-hmm. they may give you cisplatin or carboplatin, uh, platin, platin, something like that. Okay. Um, and they tend to be uh, detrimental to your auditory system. Huh. 
you'd rather be alive. So, I mean, it makes sense that they need to, you know, give you the drugs. It's a cost benefit analysis sort of thing. So one of the things that happens when you're exposed to too much noise, sort of through a series of events, there's sort of a a burst of glutamate, um, some excitotoxicity Mm -hmm. that happens because of uh, reactive oxygen species in the uh, cochlea and the fluids of the cochlea. And eventually that may lead to some damage to the outer hair cell. You also may get some mechanical damage to the outer hair cell because you'll, I mentioned that this membrane is moving up and down. Well, there are moving parts on this membrane and one of those moving parts are the outer hair cells. And sometimes your membrane can be displaced far enough that it actually mm. does some physical mechanical damage to those cells. And then they become less nuanced. The well, hair, they like can it. die. Oh, no. So let's say you're a musician. You play the drums. You don't wear earplugs for 20 years. You go in to get your hearing tested. When you run a hearing test, what you're trying to do is get sort of an estimate of how sensitive that basilar membrane is. So on the audiogram or the graph that we use to to plot uh, thresholds or the quietest sounds that a person can hear, we're sort of setting it up like a keyboard. We have low frequencies on the very left and high frequencies on the very right. And um, we're looking at how uh, sensitive you are across that those range of low to high frequencies. Well, for whatever reason, well, I know what the reason is, but um, musicians tend to have this very particular notch at 4,000 hertz. So you start to acquire some damage at this very specific little spot at 4,000 hertz when you are overexposed to noise. That's most commonly the pattern that you see. And it tends to happen for a variety of reasons. I won't go into it, but at that spot where you start to incur some damage, what's happening is some of those outer hair cells may be dying. Now, some other things may be di- may be happening as well, but a consequence of that is at that place, you now no longer have as good of frequency selectivity. Um, your cochlear amplifier is missing or reduced. So soft sounds are no, no longer, you can no longer access soft sounds. And now loud sounds also get too loud too quickly because you don't have that compressive no component. Yeah. So what people tend to report first when they're noticing that they have a hearing loss is that th- some some issues with clarity. So it's not that they can't hear soft sounds. It's that in the high frequencies, they're starting to have some issues distinguishing a voice from far away in a noisy place. Mm. So you're listening to someone who's six feet away from you. You're not facing them. So you have no visual cues and they're speaking to you and you have to turn around and ask them to repeat themselves because you are missing some of the clarity of their voice where some of those high frequencies were really important to inform what they were saying. Mm-hmm. That's totally going to happen. No, I think I've me. got some of that somehow. <laughs> yeah. Well, for I, me, it's I, headphones I, and concerts. I do a lot of... Uh, just nodding. <laughs> yeah, when you can't make out right. what someone said. Or maybe, it, I don't know if it's necessarily, well, in crowded spaces, it's a little difficult for everyone, right? Mm-hmm. To understand? All right. I would, now but, what I want to start doing is if I can't understand, what's, I hate that thing where it's like a third time I have to ask someone to repeat themselves. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say, sorry, I just had too much excitotoxicity. So that it's uh-huh. really not my fault. And totally. then they'll be so blown away by my knowledge, even though I still don't really know what excitotoxicity is. Although it sounds like what would make a villain, like a Batman villain, like they fell into a vat of excitotoxicity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, uh, the Baz Luhrmann in my ear was stretched too thin and damaged by my hairs. <laughs> and that's how you became a villain? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and your, your evil power is not quite understanding what right. people are saying. Yep. And also making the film Australia. 
for some reason. Yeah, that is an evil power. <laughs> right? Was that part of the uh, the the Red Curtain trilogy? Yeah, totally. Really? No, mm-hmm. I don't think so. Okay, I thought I had you had something. a question. No, no I had, had a question. No, I was just saying. I was just thinking, like, like when you're asking someone to repeat themselves, some of the times it's it's maybe it's noisy and you can't hear them. Some of the time it's for me. I feel it's like my brain trying to process what was said. So if I spend enough time, I can figure out what that person said. I just didn't focus enough. So that's not really an ear thing, but a me paying attention thing. Mm. So that's one of the issues that comes up when we think about trying to test or or research certain issues with the ear. Mm -hmm. Because obviously, if you play a beep to someone Mm -hmm. for two hours at a time and ask them, and that beep gets very quiet, and ask them to respond whenever they hear the beep, and it eventually goes away and comes back and goes away and comes back... Well, because you're asking them to respond, a person's attention is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and their criteria for what when a beep is present and absent is also very important. So that, that's a tricky thing to try to assume is going to come out in the wash when you're, when you're running listeners and choosing listeners for experiments and things like that. Because... You know, some listeners with a hearing loss may be incredibly bright and attentive and um, are very focused and uh, they're really good at the task. Their, their standard deviation or their variance is very low. Uh, and you may have a 19-year-old who's terrible at the task, mm-hmm. wonderful hearing, but terrible at the task, can't pay attention to anything and is on their phone half the time, even though you've asked them not to. And so how do you, how does that um, explain differences in the mechanism of hearing? Well, it, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. So uh, you need to come up with uh, methods to try to control for that. I have a weird thing. I had to get glasses about four years ago. No, this is hearing, Levi. This will connect, I promise. <laughs> I, no, I think you're... And I... This better not be about smell. When I had to go get an eye exam, there's the whole like, is this better or is that better? Mm. Is this better or is that yeah. better? And it reminded me very much of like hearing tests when yep. I was young. But then I know there was a part of me who just like wants to give the right answer. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> I didn't always really, I was like, I don't know which is better. I got to answer. Like, time's running out. Like, I felt I was on some horrible game show. And I was just, so I was like, I'm going to get the wrong prescription. So yeah. I feel like there could be a lot of anxiety in being, in participating in any kind of that scientific research where you're like, yeah. Did I, should I say I heard a beep? I don't know if I would, he looks like he made a face. I think I must have heard a beep because he looks disappointed right yeah. now. Like, you know, like. I do a lot of fist pounding. <laughs> I mean, do you have to do any kind of like blinds so that people can't see the administering of the, any of those oh, certainly. Those audio yeah, yeah. things? Like an, you know, I mean, typically the setup for... There's an empty room, can't see anything, <coughs> blindfolded. <clears throat> typically the setup... Gagged. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> um, typically the setup for an experiment in a lab like ours is you... <laughs> Ask a very nice person to come spend two hours with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's in a basement with no windows, and they sit in a room with no lights on and just a computer in it and a set of headphones. They put on the headphones. Uh, on the screen uh, is three boxes, uh, which they are to click. So they're, <laughs> they're going to sit there for two hours and listen over the headphones. There's going to be noises while the three boxes are presented. Mm-hmm. In only one of the boxes, there will be a tone. They're supposed to click the box with the tone. That tone gets louder and quieter in level depending on their performance. And I search the internet while they're doing that. Because um, <laughs> it's get, being recorded by the computer, right? Yeah, so you yeah, don't yeah. Have I don't, to, I'm not doing anything. You yeah. know, like I'm, I'm reading or... Just a, just a ch- get off your phone. 
Yeah, yeah, right. I don't even. I should get one of those. I like to open up the doors for them every twenty minutes or so, just mm-hmm. to let them know that, uh, like, that the world's watching. still there. Yeah. And, well, when, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when they're in there, do you ever occasionally just go in and say, uh, "Now you you might hear some screaming next door, but I need you to per- keep participating <laughs> in the test, even though they think they're killing someone." Yeah. Do you ever just let it fold into like a mulgroom kind of thing Is every that... time? Oh, good. Because <laughs> why wouldn't you abuse that power? Yeah, that's what I, I mean. mean. You're, they're getting twenty bucks. Is, yeah, yeah. Is that is there vouchers? What are yeah? It's, uh, for normal hearing listeners, uh, for the grant that I'm working on right now, it's twelve dollars an hour, and for uh, listeners with hearing loss, it's uh, f- listeners with hearing loss is fifteen dollars an hour. We should talk about perception. I mean, pitch perception is what we're talking about, right? But the perception, Eric and I were trying to figure out. Mm-hmm. I was trying to decipher just what pitch perception means, just based on those two words. Yeah, and so I was saying, oh, I think perception is your. Uh, how you understand what you're hearing as opposed to what the actual sound is. I think that's true. But I think you, that's you even true. sort of, I think you made it one more remove where it's like, there's like three different, like this, there's the sound and then there's what hits your ears and then what you think you heard and then what you actually heard. And like, I don't know. It's, there are many. Yeah. There, and, and so as you can imagine, there are different way stations, so to, so to speak, uh, as sound makes its way from the ear to the brain. And um, at these different way stations, depending on certain factors, you know, different things can cause perceptual changes. A good example of that is tinnitus, as you brought up earlier. Mm. So tinnitus is, for most people, either a ringing, a humming, or sort of like a white noise that they perceive whether they're in the presence or absence of sound. Mm -hmm. It uh, varies in its level of annoyance, um, but someplace in the system that sound is being generated. Now, Mm. when it sounds like a tone, sometimes you can actually pitch match it for a patient. So you can say, uh, okay, well, can you play on a keyboard what pitch that note is? Mm. And uh, sometimes they can. Sometimes they, oh, yes, definitely this. But most of the time, I would say most of the time, of the people I've encountered, it's more ephemeral maybe is the word than that. Uh, it's, it's more complex. It doesn't sound like one note. It sounds like multiple notes or more like a note and some noise or mostly noise. So there are some different um, – we're still in, in the process of trying to figure out why, where, and a few other things about what exactly is happening with tinnitus. We know that perhaps tinnitus arises from a mismatch and excitation and inhibition in a certain portion of either the auditory system or a a system that is um, adjacent to the auditory system. That sounds like what every story out of Florida is a a mismatch of excitation and inhibition (laughs) where somebody was way too excited and there was nothing stopping them. Yeah. Too many guns and pickup trucks. And no, and no, and no red lights. Right. Yeah. But I think excitation and inhibition means something different in the context you're speaking. Yeah. So, so when a nerve, um, when a when a neighborhood of neurons are going to um, fire, uh, they tend to be. Let's see. How do I? How do I? Uh, there can be groups of uh, excitatory firers, so to speak, and inhibitory firers uh, in these neighborhoods of neurons, and um, they sort of need to be in balance for. Signals to be going both ways Mm. and for things to sort of just level out kind of the idea of action potentials and stuff like that. You need hyperpolarization, depolarization. I guess that we don't need to go down that road. But just think about, you know, let's say excitation is up, inhibition is down. And um, in, in, in the case of tinnitus, the idea is that perhaps either the up outweighs the down 
or the down outweighs the up. Mm. But it doesn't necessarily happen in one place. It's not like in the inferior colliculus. That's where it always happens. And we're getting closer to an idea that perhaps tinnitus might be a little bit like migraine headaches uh, in that a migraine can be generated in multiple sites mm -hmm. around the brain. And this might be true of tinnitus as well, although there's a researcher at uh, University of Minnesota named Hugh Lim, who's in the biomedical engineering department, that thinks even if that is true, there may be a way station for tinnitus. And I'm speaking way out of my wheelhouse here, but I'll try to give a summary and not get yelled at when I get back to school. But there may be a way station in the auditory system where you can override some of the, the imbalance of the excitation and inhibition by external stimulation through electrodes and things like that, mm. thereby reducing the percept of tinnitus, regardless of, you know, other things that are happening around it. So, so tinnitus is, a, is, is another mystery in the pitch world that tends to have pitchy qualities, although there's no sound to be associated with it. And so what is generating that pitch-like tone? Mm -hmm. you know, that pitch -like so it, so it sounds like you're saying there may, may be new ways to reduce your awareness of your tinnitus, but you're not actually going to get rid of it. You just might not notice it as much the the main the main advice that that audiologists or um people that see patients with tinnitus just like turn it up uh they're just... they're like tr try to get good at ignoring it oh yeah like turn on a fan when you're sleeping try to have a noise generator at work just try to do things that will mask the tinnitus and it will hopefully become less bothersome over mm. time because right now we just don't have a great treatment you know yeah it seems like most of the advice is like don't get it like that <laughs> <laughs> what if you just put them in that super quiet room at the oh that's Oof. great they love that yeah. Oof. no Mad? that'd be so <laughs> maddening <laughs> i have what i have is uh, just sort of a continued noise for a while after i've been listening to headphones for an extended period and then I stop oh. and then I have a little, I don't how, know what How loud do you listen to your headphones? Too loud, probably. I okay. mean, that's what it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah, I would be <laughs> And I do earbuds predominantly too, which I know are terrible. Well, I think yeah, people, yeah. I think earbuds get a bad rap. <clears throat> so, no, he so, works for Apple. <laughs> I did. I came here on Why behalf of Why are you wearing that Apple. Beats by Dre shirt? <laughs> um, I, so, I think earbuds get a bad rap because- Yes. Do kids listen to music too loud? Absolutely. Is it because they're wearing earbuds? Eh, no, it's because it's music. It's because they're listening to music. And they've too been loud. told not to. Yeah, I think that you know, as a listener, too loud is too loud. Yeah. Whether it's where it's whether it's um, transduced via an earbud, a headphone, a speaker, a room, or whatever. And so, um, I think that the the thing that I think is dangerous is that we don't know what too too loud sounds like. Too loud doesn't mean painful, mm -hmm. doesn't mean uh, my ears are bleeding, doesn't mean I feel uncomfortable. It's just a, a, a question of fairly high in level for more than a couple hours for lots of days a week. And it's person to person, I would imagine. Oh, it varies, I mean, yeah. yeah. And I actually think I, I listen more to um, spoken stuff, podcasts, than music than I used to. And it's, I think it's lessened. In mm. that, somehow. I think that's true. Yeah, because music is very constant barrage of sound, yeah. and and speeches. You know, you get peaks, but it's not constantly yeah, loud. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I went to a lot of punk shows when I was in my teens and twenties, and those mm. that's just noise. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah it's very... noise. And I would never wear earplugs because that'd right. be lame. <laughs> I think the first show I wore earplugs for was Bob Mold, and that was a good choice. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah, yeah. very loud. I saw him at the entry when Did he was you? here. Yeah, a couple months ago. 
It was he brought a full all of his dudes brought full stacks to the entry because <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what they were like. They want to hurt you know? your ears. Yeah, that's yeah. part of it. They wanted to kill us. I have a hearing question. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily about pitch perception. Boop. Did you hear that? Yeah. Boop. That's just Levi. That's within my. Boop. Yep. I heard that. It's the same. Boop. Adam. Boop. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what was it? Do you know anything about the evolution of the ear? Because the evolution I, of the ear? Yeah, because I know Oof. something about the, the, the eye, you know, just the way it kind of evolved in where, yeah. where it was like a, a light source. You know, it you started sh- as a mouse trap, right? The eye was a mouse trap. Yeah. yeah and yeah, then yeah. it turned no, but, into an eye. But it, it saw shadows and lights and then something else developed and it saw shapes and then colors. and, right. and But there's so many different parts to the ear. You know, all those little bones. Yeah. Yeah. I probably did at one point. Um, <laughs> so anyway, next topic. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I love that answer. <laughs> I, I think um, I'm in graduate school for like fucking a long time, <laughs> but I think well, you um, started when you're 29, and now you're 50. Right? Yeah, you're really exactly. dragging your feet. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, take a, I'm getting a lot of results. Yeah. And uh, you make don't want to rush of, something like that. You know, estimates. 50 and, uh, sounds really old. <laughs> It does. It's not you got to take care though. of yourself. <laughs> he did say he gets older, they stay the same age, which I don't know if that works in graduate yes. school as much. As a 50-year-old, I <laughs> shoot for a 36 is Ooh. my media. <laughs> nice. I should have creep out 36-year-olds. Success. Uh, you know what the sound of my voice is doing right now? A lot of that. You use your training uh-huh. for, for evil. You, you'd be surprised how well it works. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. <laughs> Here's a diff- here's a different question. Oh, then the one. <laughs> well, the, uh, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna. No, let's into push him. Let's force him to non, say something he non, doesn't know. Not an expert on, or not yeah. able to speak uh, at length on. But this might also not be that thing. <laughs> so I, uh, Levi and I were talking earlier about Ghostbusters too. Yeah, we were. It, it, it just seems like they're shoehorning Slimer in. Yeah. Like mm. it just didn't. They realized mm. he was popular, right? He was bigger and fatter, and just like, why is he even there? It's like why like, Urkel kept being in every yeah. episode of he Family He was a Matters. guest, a guest star, right? Yeah. And he took over the whole show. Yeah, yeah, just to make sense. And then he made the Urkel bot, and then and then Stephon. when Slimer and Urkel made that spinoff, uh-huh. that I liked. Yeah, and then true. there was a cartoon version of it. They solved crimes. Oh, so good. It was great. The that's real true. Ghostbusters. That's right. That's what the real Ghostbusters. Is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, Did I catch ghosts? <laughs> oh, we can end it right there. Um, so the the brain's part in hearing. Uh, Levi and I were talking about how your brain, you can, even when you're not hearing things, like you can hear someone's voice or you can taste something or you can... The memory of a the thing. The memory of something. Yeah. So mm. you're hearing... I mean, you can hear a song in your head. You're, you know, you you get a song stuck in your head. You can hear a song. You can think of a song, and it's it's there in your head. The like, theme song to Indiana yeah. Jones. So what? I mean, that's I guess in regards to perception. That's fake. You can't hear it. <laughs> this is <kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> This isn't. You're stupid. Oh man. Um, Great. No. Er- Eric's fears realized. What kind of hologram am I living in? <laughs> um, yeah, that's a very good question. Um, I've I've thought about it, and some I think somebody else asked me that once, and I really didn't have a great answer. It's really more in the realm of psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you know in- any famous psychologists? <laughs> Like world famous, uh, just name dropped. Yeah, I know. Come on. Uh, um, 
I don't, but I don't know. They tend to still be on the peripheral side of hearing. So mm-hmm. they are looking at, even before you get to the brain, what's happening. Right. Once you get to the brain, all bets are off. Not all bets, but <laughs> yeah. some bets Jeez. are off. It's some bets <laughs> are off. <laughs> I want to walk into a, a hospital and the guy's like, oh, you're in the brain. Sorry. All bets are off. <laughs> Nothing we can do there. <laughs> nope. It's the Wild West. You better just go Where home. do you want the bullets? <laughs> Um, yeah no it is yeah neuroscience is a is a yes yeah i mean it's not all bets are off guys there's not the it would be interesting though so so uh there are spots in the um so we've got the basilar membrane Mm -hmm. that's set out like the piano keyboard low frequencies coded at this this particular spot high frequencies coded at this particular spot a1 you know called the primary auditory cortex in the brain um has some lamina mapping like that so there's some sort of place, you know, frequency to place mapping that's, we're still kind of trying to sort out with different types of testing. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, But there seems to be some frequency to place mapping in the auditory cortex. Now it can change, it can shift and reorganize depending on life instances, damage, brain trauma, and things like that. So it's not as fixed as uh, something like the basilar membrane, but it would be interesting to know, and I don't know this, if you are thinking of a song Is there any association between the firing of the auditory cortex and your perception of the the pitches or the frequencies in that song? I don't know. Right. Is yeah. it that part of the brain or is it a different part that's, that's right. generating that? <clears throat> I, would, uh, I would assume it's probably more associated with memory, mm-hmm. something like in the hippocampus or uh, where memory is stored and then recalled and brought into working memory and put back into long-term memory. But That's right. You're recording and then rewriting protein lines. Yeah. Oh. Radio lab. Right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Ma. No, I had another like dumb question. Not a dumb. Well, you know, a question I didn't know the answer to. Oh, so you know, you have two ears. So could one of them be slightly off Ooh. from your other one? Like, uh, like, like things maybe. Yeah, maybe things just don't line up. The hairs don't line up properly, or the the membrane doesn't. Uh, well, if you have hearing loss in one of them, uh-huh. that can so, something analogous to that can happen. Okay. I don't know that if you were to isolate i guess your brain your, your brain well. might be able to fix it compensate yeah what about the guy in reservoir dogs got his ear cut off is, that, <laughs> is his brain gonna have to remap so that he just hears everything in one side well i think or is he mostly dealing with the psychological trauma so i think that's a little bit of the um the fallacy of who's the artist that cut his ear off the, van, van gogh, gogh. Van gogh? Yeah. the van gogh van fallacy gogh, i think and that's that, it Simply, essentially, he wouldn't have hurt his hearing much at all because it's inside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would have it would have changed the response of his of his ear canal and his his right, pin right, and right. head and stuff like that. But it wouldn't have. How really far would you have to gouge in <laughs> to take out the cochlea? Not, well, the cochlea away. It's pretty far in. Yeah, because yeah. they have to drill in far for the implantation. So yeah, so what they have to do is actually, um, and I did this on a cadaver. It was crazy. Uh, you and have they to. I can hear better now. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. That was. The consequence, <laughs> the gift from the heavens. That's and right. I, you, and um, then you heard everything uh, from that man's life. Right. Yeah. Oh, like the final thing you see that you can see in the eyeball. Yeah, and you just kind of connect. It was yeah. like a city of lost children where he pulls out the guy's mechanical eyeball and of puts course. it in his head and kills the guy. So he's watching himself die. Yeah. It was exactly like right? that. Great. Yeah. Great. He wasn't uh, dead when I started. <laughs> my thanks and appreciation to the families of people who have donated their bodies to yes. science. No, Dad, I want to. Uh, do you want to donate your body to science? Not right now. No. Put not that right knife now. away, Eric. Uh, that is pretty amazing, though. That yeah. people are just like, yeah, man, do it. 
I, I love that. I mean, I, that's really that's. Amazing. I haven't signed anything, but that's. I if mean, I can't be used to keep someone alive, I would love to teach people to keep people alive. Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. I'd yeah. like to further knowledge even after I'm gone. Yeah. yeah, I say take all my parts you can for people who are hurt, mm-hmm. and then give the and rest. And then let Spec to... put a cochlear implant in all my parts. Yes, yeah, <laughs> just to practice. <laughs> Let's <laughs> see how the penis works. Your knee. <laughs> it's always penis. But just resonate through that. <laughs> okay, Adam, uh, you've got four cochlear implants in this man's penis. I can uh, put in more. I swear, I can put in more. We're going this is, further. This is not even a large penis, so I'm impressed. <laughs> But that penis can hear. <laughs> yeah, but not pitch. That's no, true. No. Just kind of a uh, like hissy a, whisper. Like a like quacky. Go, like Gollum. Like a, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. My penis is. <laughs> One cock ring to rule them all. All right. Uh, We've got our next parody. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't, I, I'm not sure if we're going someplace before we... But nowhere we good. Could, yeah. Well, Adam was talking about putting a cochlear implant in a cadaver. Oh, yeah. Well, which okay. inevitably leads to gold. D- disclaimer. <laughs> disclaimer. I didn't actually put a cochlear implant in, but I did perform the procedure, which uh-huh. would allow you to place the electrode. Thank goodness for the disclaimer. Yes. What would so, you use instead? <laughs> like a Tic Tac? Yeah. That's what I, I did. Put a Tic Tac mm-hmm. in a head. So you have to, you have to drill out. Uh, the mastoid process here. You have mm-hmm. to drill out the bone of the mastoid behind the ear. It's thick bone too, it's right? pretty thick bone. Yeah. yeah, you got to go quite a ways. You have to uh, be careful not to run into the brain on your way because uh, mm-hmm. the floor of the tegmentum is right here. And then you have to find this little space called the facial recess, which is very small. Pu- punch a hole in there and then drill down through the middle ear space. So behind your eardrum is actually an air-filled cavity. It's where kids get ear infections and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's also where the bones are. So the bones are in this little air-filled space before they get to fluid. Well, in this air-filled space, you have to punch a hole in the wall and then kind of divvy down into uh, where you'll find this thing called the round window. Drill a hole right above the round window so you don't drain all the fluid in the cochlea that's, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that you're probably going to drain some of anyway in the in the in the process but um and then you insert this electrode along the length of where the basilar membrane sort of underneath the basilar membrane essentially mm-hmm. does any of that heal after that procedure or is that yeah. permanent I mean, so the only reason you get a cochlear implant is if you have a severe to profound hearing loss right mm-hmm. so it's worth the damage so you're, you're i mean i know the bone's not but I mean, right if you're poking through the wall or anything is there any does well, any self-repair happen there when they started cochlear implant surgery they found out that um, <laughs> you can't just gouge in right if you drain the fluid in the inner ear you lose any residual hearing you had so mm-hmm. even if you had some hearing it's just gone it's now gone so that fluid is essential to hearing yeah, it's it's like the the fluids of any part of the body. You know, like if you don't if you don't have the fluid, it do, it just doesn't work. Sweet, another T-shirt. You don't have the fluid; it just doesn't work. Coed naked uh, science. <laughs> <Co-ed> naked, gross. <laughs> uh, it's pretty awful. Um, but you know, you're a lech in your fifties, so it's true. <laughs> yeah, I'm a grandpa. So what did they learn? So they have learned that if you can, if you can avoid draining all of the fluid in the cochlea, you can actually preserve some of the residual hearing. So you can, for instance, now implant someone who has primarily a high frequency loss and allow them to keep using their low frequencies somewhat naturally, Mm. um, which is good, especially for things like pitch perception because pitch tends to be fairly low frequency when we're listening to speech. So they would still have good access to pitch. Eh, I wouldn't say good access, well, but they have some, some access. Right. Yeah. Yep. 
So things like that have been kind of new developments within the last 15 years or something like that. One of the tricks is there are only three cochlear implant manufacturers in the world, Cochlear, Advanced Bionics, and Medel. And Cochlear, until recently, has had somewhat of a monopoly. And um, so they tend to drive the market and unfortunately drive some of the science. And um, that has um, not been great in certain regions of productivity for for how how cochlear implants will move Yeah, they wouldn't want to fund cheaper versions of things. Yeah, it's not like they get to decide all of the the research that goes on, but ultimately they do end up get to saying yay or nay about what's implemented in the device. So you can test some things, but that doesn't mean, you know, it's going to go that way. They probably even, would they have some control over what research gets published if they're funding the research? If they were funding the research, but that would typically be um, in-house or or with an open collaboration. So they Um, have to, it's just a matter of if they're going to apply that research. Most of the cochlear implant research independent of cochlear implant companies are at big R01 institutions, and that's what gets published in mm. the primary journals and things like that. But there, there, there are arguably um, research studies that are associated with those companies that do also get published in those journals, but more often if it's just in-house research by somebody like Cochlear or Advanced Bionics, it's in a trade journal or something less well juried it's not peer-reviewed to the same scale as something yeah yeah attached earlobes or detached earlobes which is get rid of those get rid of them you don't need get rid of the earlobes all right (laughs) yeah i like it what a waste (laughs) uh just make them points and put them on top of your ears yeah whatever obviously spock it up we usually ask for an interesting fact yeah but that telephone thing seems like that was great. Not enough of a... Uh, yeah, the thing we'll do is like, what's something that's somewhat basic, but you think everyone should know and they probably don't? So before I get into the interesting fact, I will say that one of my colleagues... Here's a dull fact first. <laughs> this going to warm up the room a little. This better not be about dolphins. <laughs> this fact sucks. Um, over the last couple of years, um, not particularly hearing related, but some, some questions about the gay voice for instance. Oh yeah, this sort of stereotypically. Yeah. yeah. And and there there's there's you know recently a documentary put out about it and um one of my colleagues at University of Minnesota, uh Dr. Ben Monson, um was asked to speak on the matter on I think a Slate podcast. I think if you just search Slate and Ben mm-hmm. Monson you can come up with it. But he just really is a brilliant guy and answers the questions of these um, interviewers quite well. And I don't feel like they were being offensive by any means, but just a little bit over simple and, and perhaps underinformed about the status of the gay voice in current culture. And Mm -hmm. uh, especially in, you know, just sort of like young urban culture. So he, I thought, uh, his answers to their fairly simple questions, I thought really brought some interesting light to the discussion and I highly encourage people to, to, to seek it out. Cause I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Um, and he happens to be a gay man. And so just that being his perspective is also an interesting take. Well, he's probably aware of the changing stereotypes. Yeah. And he's actually been studying uh, some attributes of people's perception of gay voice for years. So mm. he has his finger on the pulse of how hmm. that, how that's sort of working. We'll have a link to that probably if i remember to put one up um sweet kind of plug well no eric when you're listening to this and editing it remember to put a goddamn link (laughs) in the show notes i'm wondering if there's anything if there if you don't have a a suggestion you just do more jerry lewis style noises (laughs) um uh i think um 
Honestly, I don't read a lot of books, but there, there is the psychology. <laughs> of Do you listen to books though? I oh, do. Right? Because um, Gone Girl. Uh, what else? Uh, <laughs> um, what's the most recent? I read Amy Polish book. That was great, but it's not really. Yes, yes. please. Um, uh, but I. That's the name. I think Psychology of Hearing uh, by Brian Moore has been a sort of long-standing. Excuse me. Yeah, I um, love the psychology stuff, even that you touched on. It's, so anything in that realm. It so. tends to be kind of a I don't know, stalwart is the is the right word, but it's it's a, a steadfast contribution to introductory uh, psychology courses in hearing uh, across the globe. He just retired from Cambridge, and he was actually Andrew Oxenham's advisor. And um, but that that book tends to be used pretty pretty often. Chris Plack um, at University of Manchester has a book maybe just called Hearing. I think it was first pressed in 2012. It's pretty good. A uh, little bit simpler take on on um, uh, some of the the more complex equations and things in in Brian Moore's book. Good. And he was really um, good in Guardians of the Galaxy too. That's, I was going to yeah, make that joke. Yeah. Levi, I, I felt we were all sleeping on it. Uh, so yeah, had to be done. He had to take a lot of. That's why he retired to get in shape. <laughs> yeah, to do that. I don't know if there's. Oh, actually, Fundamentals of Hearing by Bill Yost. Um, it's pretty decent. Um, do I know? I think those are about the, uh, you know, kind of if you're, you're looking, three. yeah, if you're looking to get into hearing and, and you don't have a, a huge background in hearing, I think Chris Plack, I would say number one, Bill Yost two, Brian Moore three, because okay. Brian gets into, um, if you have a math background, you can get into it, but it's kind of a little mathy here and there. Mm. I would say also interesting fact. So related to my dissertation, what I'm looking at is a phenomenon called mm. forward masking. And what that refers to is you can turn on a noise and obviously while that noise is on if you play a beep it affects your ability to hear that beep but also as soon as you turn that noise off turn off Mm -hmm. it affects your ability to hear a beep afterwards as well Hmm. and it has a certain time course in normal hearing listeners it takes about 200 seconds after that noise is turned off for you to be able to recover so to speak 200 seconds no 200 milliseconds okay It's a long time. It no, takes I, I, three years. My, <laughs> my ears hurt. Holy crap. Seconds. Good. Milliseconds. That makes more sense. 200 milliseconds. Uh-huh. So about a quarter of a second mm-hmm. uh, for you to entirely recover from that noise being on. So recover in the sense that you are able to hear the beep as though the beep was being played in quiet. For hearing impaired listeners, your recovery from that is more sluggish. So it still takes only about 200 seconds. But milliseconds. The milliseconds. Milliseconds. God. All right. So, um, did you say seconds the first time? I did. Say yeah. All right. Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you were I right. thought I was the one that was crazy. No, uh, I thought it was milliseconds, a hearing thing. Uh, two hundred milliseconds to recover from, or uh, you know, one hundred fifty, two hundred milliseconds mm-hmm. to recover from uh, that noise being on. But the the slope of recovery is different than it is in normal hearing listeners, and that goes back to our talk about outer hair, hair cells. But we don't need to get back into that. But that that is interesting because it's relevant for when you are trying to understand speech in a noisy environment. The noise isn't standing still, so to speak. It's got fluctuations in it and it's got peaks and valleys. Mm-hmm. And after those peaks are on, there is a possibility that uh, those peaks of noise in a noisy background are affecting listeners with hearing loss differently than they are affecting mm. listeners with normal hearing. So that's why I'm kind of interested in attributes of this noise that's on, then turned off, and what the auditory system does with a tone after that noise is oh. turned off. Yeah, that is interesting yeah. about your ability to sort of catch back up and get back into hearing yeah. 
the conversation, whatever's happening. Right. Is mm-hmm. there any place uh, that listeners can find you on the internet, either through Twitter or your own website? You know, for your bands. Your I actually your just self? started a Squarespace your site. And if you're a podcaster, you know about Squarespace. Yeah, Squarespace.com yeah. so is a sponsor of other sh- podcasts. Yeah, not ours. <laughs> um, Adamsvec.squarespace.com, I okay. think is what it is. And was it super easy, drag and drop? Yeah, super easy. <laughs> Super easy, and uh, they're sending me a check yeah. in a little while. Perfect, um, perfect. But uh, no, if you go to squarespace.com/svec, you get a great discount. Right now. <laughs> right. Just type in S V E C at the discount window. Don't do um, that. But if you do WTF, you'll probably get a discount. <laughs> That's true. CBB, bang, bang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just type in any podcast, but this. Yeah, so they can go there and get. I've put one song from each of the projects I've been in over the last couple of years on the site, and then links to Bandcamp sites that are where you can buy the album or listen to it or stream it or whatever people uh, if they're interested should watch out for a release date to be determined for camp dark which will be coming up soon i'm also uh, working on some videos for a video series or a web series that will uh, be videos for each of the songs on the camp dark record um so they're kind of these i'm i'm using uh, footage from archive.org. It's public domain footage that was shot on Super 8 and um, just old kind of, you know, vintage looking footage that have cobbled together videos for each of these songs uh, that I hope tell some kind of compelling stories. Is Zimmerman helping you with this? He is n- not, but Burgess is. Okay. Burgess Meredith. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're a chump, Adam. <laughs> he died. Just now? Yeah, I just killed <laughs> because him. You did I killed him with my terrible impersonation. Yeah. <laughs> I've killed so many people. I can't take it anymore, Rock. <laughs> I killed Bane twice yesterday. <laughs> I'm not doing it. Um, you think the dark is... <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't like doing Bane? You guys know you want to do Bane right now. I can't now. do a good... I can't do, so I can't do a bad Bane. You think the dark is your ally. You've adopted it. I was born in it. It's super fun. It's fun always to do. I'm, I, I'll just stick with the Batman. Swear to me. <laughs> Adam, what do you got? Catwoman, uh, um, Harvey Dent? Do I have a... Um, you can do Adam West if you want. It doesn't matter. You can do the old penguin. Uh, <laughs> it is. Do I have a... Oh, I, I've got... I've actually got a great impression. Oh. I, I really love this impression. <laughs> um, this is a parrot. Repeating the word hello. Hello? <laughs> hello? <laughs> hello? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's perfect. Uh, <laughs> I am so happy that Adam Smith was our guest. <laughs> Thanks for taking the time, Adam. Sure thing. Thanks for having me. Happy to. Hey, Levi. Hi, Eric. All right, now, you know... We're going to need some context. Yeah, we we like to... Uh, a standard for the show, we like to say what we think we know about the subject. Right. Talk to an expert about the subject. Right. Then wait seven months <laughs> right. to record a follow-up about what we remember. That is the format. Right. Or two weeks, two weeks or seven months. It's been yeah. seven months. Right. Because we've had life things going on. Well... You are a father. I am a father now. You weren't before. I wasn't. That's huge. Yeah. There's a lot of science happening there. Growth, brain development. Is this biology or chemistry or math? I think it's... Uh, Is it math? Light. <sighs> Physics. 
Yeah, it's physics. It's physics. All right. And math. Physics and math make babies. So, when, when, <laughs> so we're going to remember... When a physics and a math love yep. each other very much... Is that how it goes? I think so. Yeah. So we're going to struggle to remember anything. Well, you came in and you struggled to remember what the topic even was. That, I think that bodes well. <laughs> right. So we're talking about uh, hearing and audio things. Exactly right. right. Yeah. So it's how sound travels and how your ears hear sound. Right? Uh, yeah. More of that. Yeah, we were ears. talking. We talked about some waves, right? There was Probably. waves. Waves. But then there was like the parts of the ear. Parts of the ear. Now the, the hammer, the do sickle. Do you remember any of the other parts? Of the, than those? Well, not the I, sickle. I was killing it. Yeah. I mean, that that's more the Russian flag, right? The hammer, the uh -huh. sickle. Yeah, yeah, probably. Cochlea? Is that well, something? Uh, did we talk about cochlear implants? No. Cochlear implants? Cochlear. cochlear. Don't remember. It's been seven months. It has been. Uh, I remember the Basler membrane. Yeah, tell us about the Baslerman membrane. Oh, I don't remember. It directed Romeo and Juliet. Uh-huh. Romeo plus Juliet. Right. It sang that sun sunscreen song. <laughs> that that was just on the soundtrack, you know? Sunscreen Always show? wear sunscreen. It was that graduation speech turned into a song on the soundtrack of Romeo and Juliet. Uh -huh. I remember that, but I can't remember the Basler membrane. Who was our guest? Who was our guest? <laughs> Levi. I'm a bad person. It's Adam, Adam Speck. Right. He was, I believe he mentioned that his new band, Camp Dark. They're not new anymore. No, they have released their album. <laughs> so... Uh, go out and We're going to give him that Regret that. Labs bump. That's seven, right. Seven months later. Yep. But the what the basilar membrane was is it the little follicles no that feel the the sound was that the follicles on the membrane I was I was picturing a xylophone ooh in the in the say more ear. about that well it was it wasn't made out of skeleton bones no like a Heathcliff would play yeah after eating a Adding fish a yeah that just made the xylophone sound I don't think it was it's meant to be a xylophone if something I mean, made <laughs> if it sounds like a xylophone right. Is it not a xylophone? Well, I can make a xylophone sound on a on a keyboard. Can you? There's no way to know. There's not a keyboard in this room. <laughs> there, hold on. Let's check. Oh, boy. Totally worth this it. This is a very sound intense. We should also mention this audio might sound slightly different because we're recording it in a different format at the moment. Is phone, vehicle, applause, or funny a xylophone? Yes. Okay, good. Then this keyboard can definitely play that. Okay. Well, then you've you've proven. All right. You were right. I was wrong. You're handsome. I'm unattractive. You're smart. I'm dumb. Well, we're both dumb. But you're, but you're fine with the others. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. I re I do remember after that episode being more aware of sound. Hmm. For a little while. Not, <laughs> a, not now, still. A week, two weeks, yeah, yeah, yeah. not seven months? It was a couple weeks of wondering what was happening when I would hear a sound. Yeah, I think I was wondering a little more about hearing loss. And yes. are there pitches maybe I'm not hearing as well? Have you, or... do, you, do you alter your behavior? Do you wear headphones regularly? Yep, I do wear headphones. Do you wear any that are like less damaging to your ears? Do you keep the volume lower? I, well, I always kept the volume lower. I wear ear protection when I mow the lawn. You're I wear earplugs when I go to concerts. You want to know, I do the opposite. You When I mow the lawn, I have headphones on and I turn them really loud uh -huh. to try and hear it over the lawnmower. Uh, I put headphones underneath the sound blockers oh, okay. so I can keep it at a normal level. That's a smart idea. Mm. I think that oh, should so, be our So I guess up. I am smart and you're dumb. Yeah. No, all right. So you're right on all those things. And we'll post said. some images and people can see how you're much more handsome than I am. <laughs> if they don't already see our images. Yeah. I think that's important. So 
I think the most important thing we can take away from this episode's experience mm-hmm. is that for me, if I don't do any follow-up study seven months afterwards, <laughs> I'm not going to retain a lot of the information. Uh-huh. I can retain a feeling yeah. and sort of a sense, but I couldn't tell anyone anything that I learned. And Adam yeah. told us no, good he d- stuff. He told us good stuff. I mean, I'm going to go listen back to it. I think there are a lot about the the... The vibrations of the little the hair bones in your ear, mm-hmm. um, but uh, the the membrane. I think that was pitch. Something was beat. Something was. I mean, there's different parts of the ear. You hear about the little bones in your ear vibrating to make sound. But so you have a little baby. Yes. Do you think about you know like the little kids sometimes have to get tubes in their ears? Yeah. When they get like an ear infection. Mm-hmm. Do you think maybe that's going to be something you'll experience? Maybe. Do I think maybe that's something <laughs> I don't I'll... know. Do you worry? I think maybe. Are you worrisome in your early fatherhood? And uh, how much of it relates to ear stuff? It's all ear stuff. Every worry you have? Yeah. Ear infections are huge. Like, they're all the rage with babies. Are they? Babies are really into ear infections. Well, and infants, toddlers, it kind of goes on and on. Nice. Now, my sister had to have tubes in her ear, so it's an experience. I always imagined a, a Mario pipe. When I pictured it, very, very tiny. Tiny Mario pipe? Yeah, in the, in the ear to let the fluid out behind the drum. Yeah, I like the picturing that. Thanks. So we should probably wrap up, because we don't know anything. No, we don't. We so forget everything we've said now, yes. except for Baz Luhrmann. Yeah, go look up Baz Luhrmann, no, Romeo plus Juliet. That's the only way I remembered Baz membrane. If everything was, if every part of the body was named off of a famous director, then uh, science would be super easy. Please, somebody get on that. Yeah. Where is the Scorsese? Is that like the knee? What's, I want to know what's happening. The Scorsese? There it is. Perfect. Yeah. I suppose St- we could just call it Steven the Steven Spinberg? Is that anything? <laughs> I think we're... Is that a reach? We're making everything more difficult. Yeah, I think, I don't think it makes it easier. This isn't helpful. I think Spielberg would be the heart. Christopher Nolan would be the brain. What are the directors you really respect? Um, I guess Bobcat Goldthwait would be where poop comes out. Yeah, the, the anal cavity? Yeah. I think you'd be fine with that. Yeah. It's a wrap. Thanks for listening. Oh, and don't forget, keep asking questions. Oh, yeah, I forgot about our thing. It's been seven months, Levi. How can I forget the end? I don't hey, know. Levi, That's all I remember. All, right, all right. Keep asking questions. Oh, so sad. <laughs> Regret Labs is hosted by Eric McEwen and Levi Weinley. Music produced and performed by Dieter. Podcast art by Len McEwen and Kirsten Kuhn. Regret Labs is a Noise Picnic production. Please visit us at noisepicnic.com.